Hello and welcome into another episode of the Esports Network podcast in partnership with Reuters. As always, I'm your host, Mitch Reams, and today we're talking to Victor K.O. He's the partner and technology senior analyst at RSM, one of the leading accounting firms in the U.S. Victor, thanks for joining the show. Thanks for having me, Mitch. RSM is an audit, tax, and consulting company and one of the leaders in the space. And Victor's personal background has taken him to a variety of industries, including technology, media and entertainment, telecommunications, consumer products, and financial services. In 2018, in 2018, he was named a senior analyst in RSM's Cutting Edge Industry Eminence Program, which positions its senior analysts to understand, forecast, and communicate economic, business, and technology trends shaping the industries that RSM serves. And one of those industries is esports. In June, he published an article titled Video Games and Esports Growing in U.S. See Extra Lift from Pandemic, and I'll link that below. We'll be talking about that article a bit during this podcast. They're also building TMT. That's a new division that encompasses technology, media, and telecommunications with different people in charge of each of those verticals. RMS has always been covering video games and esports, but in the last year and a half, esports has become a much more intense focus for the company. Victor, can you talk about that decision to make esports an intense focus? What was the moment that stands out where you guys were like, okay, we need to focus a lot more on this growing industry? Yeah, no, that's a really good question, Mitch. Um, I think it was maybe about a year and a half ago when we really started taking a little bit more of a focused lens on media and entertainment in itself. Um, you know, we naturally looked at video gaming and video gaming even before the pandemic was accelerating at a very fast rate as well, roughly about a 10% compound of annual growth. And then when you look at esports that sort of attaches itself to that, you know, you just look at the numbers within the last five to eight years. I mean, there's certainly been a huge acceleration uh, to esports. So when we looked at the data, we looked at the numbers, we knew that we needed to position ourselves more in front of esports as well and not just exclude them and, and focus on video gaming. Absolutely. How do you draw that delineation? You know, everyone has their own perspective of what esports is. Uh, does it encompass streaming? Does it not encompass streaming? From your perspective, where does gaming st uh, stop and esports begin? <laughs> that's a that's a really good question. I think, you know, the true definition of esports is providing any sort of level of competition, right? Where there's sort of a set of rules that can be relatively regulated, right? Um, and so, I mean, you can literally have esports on, let's just say, Super Mario Brothers or Mario Kart or whatnot, right? Mm -hmm. But obviously, there's the more casual, competitive aspects of esports, um, and obviously, there's the more competitive form of esports, and it's kind of no different than traditional sports, right? You obviously have, you know, your top tier, you know, sports that a lot of uh, individuals focus on, but then, you know, there's badminton, right? Uh, there's even chess or checkers that could be, you know. Um, arguably a sport or bowling or whatever it may be, right? But, you know, I think, you know, there's a gray area as far as, well, what really is a sport? Is poker really a sport, right? But I think that's kind of the same with esports. I don't know if there's necessarily real defined lines of what makes esports, but that's generally sort of how it's defined. I absolutely agree. I think I have a take that differs from quite a bit of the esports industry. And I attribute it to my background in traditional sports, like you mentioned. If I go across the street and I play pickup basketball with a couple people, assuming there was no COVID. I would not do that right now, to be clear. Uh, I'm playing a sport. And if I go and queue up Rocket League and jump into a ranked game, then I see that as playing an eSport. And most of the eSports industry, I think, disagrees with that focus. They see eSports as being the high-level competition, and that's where it stops. And personally, I think it's a more broad term. We don't uh, say that the only people playing sports are the people who play in the NBA. 
anybody who's picking up a basketball and is playing, they're playing a sport. And that's how I've always seen it. But I think it's different for quite a few people. But I think esports could also do well to expand their scope and welcome in a little bit more of the industry if it wants to be a successful long-term industry. But that's just me personally. No, I would I would entirely agree with that, right? Um, and esports is relatively new, right? Sports, you know, I mean, I don't know how you can back, how far you can even backdate sports in itself, right? But sports have clearly been competitive for centuries, right? Um, and I think with esports, now that you've got video gaming, I mean, arguably, like, look, you've got even Donkey Kong competitions, right? That happened in the 80s. That can yeah. arguably be an esport as well. I think so long as there's the competitive edge um, of playing the video game, I mean, that's kind of how we broadly have defined uh, esports. I think that's a pretty accurate definition based on where uh, sports came from and just it is at its core competition. And then we can figure out what else is incorporated into that. And I don't think it's bad for esports to uh, delineate and be like, okay, yeah, this competition, that's real top level. Like, I, I don't think anybody argues that basketball. Uh, the top level of basketball is not the NBA. Like, yeah, that's the top level of that sport. And that's the top level of esports too. But that doesn't mean that uh, the random person queuing up gold in League of Legends is not playing an esport at the time. They're playing a competitive experience with a winner and a loser. And that to me is an esport. But again, I think that differs from quite a bit of the esports industry. So it is definitely not a consensus of what is esports when you talk to various people in the esports industry. But it's one of my favorite questions for that reason. <laughs> From a major third-party financial perspective, whenever I talk to people in esports, especially on this podcast, everybody's in the esports industry. And while there's obviously differences there, what really matters is how people uh, from the mainstream are approaching esports. That's where so much of the money is and the growth that esports has had over the last few years, again, however you want to define esports, uh, has been from... Uh, major third parties getting involved, be those brands, be those VC firms, be those massive sports owners. How do you see the esports industry from a major uh, third party financial perspective? Um, so what do you mean by that from a major third party financial perspective? Like, help me understand. Uh, sure. From, uh, from a mainstream accounting firm, some of the people that need to be in esports for esports to continue growing. How do you approach the industry? I'm just curious for your top level thoughts on, hey, this is where esports is going. These are the opportunities in esports. And then how do people in the top levels of RSM and the partners of RSM see the esports industry? Because a lot of times people in esports can have a much different view than the people who are getting introduced to it, recently being introduced to it, I suppose. Yeah. Okay. I got what you're saying. Yeah. Because that's, that's actually a really good question because... It's tough to determine how do you truly advise an esports company, right? RSM, uh, we pride ourselves on not only just you know auditing your financials, but we're, we pride ourselves on really being true advisors to the industry and to our clients, right? Um, and I think esports is even that much more challenging, right? I th arguably, nobody can argue that there are a lot of eyes on esports, but the challenge becomes is how do you monetize that, right? And so for us as advisors, you know, we provide that sort of level of insight to kind of guide them based on, you know, data, how the public perceives themselves. We actually have tools that evaluate social media and what they're saying about particular companies to kind of help them position, um, you know, where are you really at and what do you want to be and how can we get you there, right? And so I think with esports, because it's so new uh, and it's relatively abstract, 
there's probably a multitude of different solutions and a multitude of different ways that we can help and advise our clients. Um, and once this industry starts to mature, you know, within the decades or let's say even a century from now or whatnot, you know, I think it'll start to refine itself as far as, okay, a, a better formula starts to sort of refine itself and it starts to become a little bit more formulaic. But right now it's like, it's almost like sky's the limit, right? I mean, there's so many unique creative ways in how you could advise your clients to sort of monetize on this, you know, this wave of, uh, of acceleration that's happening right now. Absolutely. And I want to talk about timelines a little bit later on, but you bring up monetization and that is the crucial question in esports right now. The eyeballs are incredible. Uh, Twitch just seeing insane growth. Uh, League of Legends World's happening right now. Just numbers continuing to grow year over year. Uh, Nielsen getting involved showing, hey, League of Legends World Championships had a higher viewership uh, than almost every NBA Finals since the Jordan Bulls. Like this is actual numbers, but at the same time, we haven't seen the transition into profitability yet. How do you see, what are some of the pathways that you could see for esports to becoming a self-sufficient industry? Because right now it just isn't quite there yet. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, arguably I think everybody is really trying to figure this out within the esports industry, right? And I think naturally you're going to want to turn to sports, right? You're going to want to look at, okay, well, how is sports doing it, right? How are they building their franchise? How are they building their teams, their leagues, their ownership, et cetera, right? Uh, but I don't think it can necessarily be just a copy and paste, right? Because esports is a very unique, you know, segment and a sector. Whereas with sports, you know, it, there's the there's a limited amount of leagues that are really monetizing, capitalizing. But I think with esports, you know, you obviously have a couple leagues like League of Legends, of course, is like and, and Overwatch. Those are obviously very high generating revenues, but there's still room for the smaller esports leagues to really catch up because the space is so new. For example, badminton, I, I don't mean to pick on badminton or ping pong, whatever that sport may be, it's hard for that to get to the NBA, NFL level, level, right? But if you're the sort of the badminton or the ping pong in esports, there's a lot more of a, of a play in how you can sort of monetize it because the space is so new. And I, I don't think anybody has necessarily cracked the sort of nut on monetizing. I think honestly, everybody's trying to figure it out, right? And if you ever ask anybody, hey, well, how are you doing it? Nobody's actually going to tell you really how they're doing it because they don't want that secret to be divulged. They'll give you the standard answers, right? They'll give you the standard answers of, you know, uh, the, the sponsorships, right? The ad revenue, the broadcasting, those are all natural, right? But, you know, I think there's a lot of byproducts that, can, that kind of come out of esports that other people are trying to figure out and that they can also capture revenue because it's such a, a unique an interesting space and it's so digitized and it's so much sort of profoundly within the World Wide web or the internet or whatnot versus sports is not necessarily as widespread as for example esports so that's why there's a little bit of a difference there yeah absolutely esports organizations field teams in 10 different titles and then that is in addition to having a bunch of influence in people whose only job is to stream and you compare that to something like the New York Yankees where they field one baseball team and then they have content arms as well but it's all based around that one team and that's just not how the modern esports organization operates and i feel like we're seeing i actually had a very similar discussion with adam reimer who's the who's named the ceo of envy gaming uh over this past summer and he's got a background in media and entertainment and our conversation really centered around uh esports organizations are becoming these hubs of influencer marketing and that's Mm -hmm. 
you know, one of the biggest growth areas of marketing. Everybody wants to know, hey, how can we get influencers on board? And esports organizations are becoming that. They are becoming content hubs. FaZe Clan's doing a great job of it with a total social following. I, I talked to somebody at uh, Geek, a Beasley Media Group company, and they said FaZe Clan's total social media following is like 78 million or something like that when you combine all the uh, different channels, the official channels, as well as each individual players. And so that's you know, one way that esports organizations are trying to figure out the different paths to profitability. Uh, but generally, when you talk to people in the industry, there's just confidence that they'll figure it out in the same way that social media companies ended up figuring it out and became profitable. They had a bunch of eyeballs and we're just going to reach a critical mass and then we'll figure out a pathway to be profitable. We'll we'll monetize all these eyeballs. And uh, for now, our goal is to just attract as many eyes as possible. Yeah. I think actually that analogy with, with social media is actually a really good one and very relevant to esports. Uh, because to your point, social media did not know how to, like when Facebook came out, you know, and they started growing in its popularity, they did not know how to necessarily monetize it, right? The typical metric that most use within social media is the ARPU, right? The average revenue per user, right? And if you look at what the ARPU was in, in Facebook, you know, 15 years ago to what it is now, I mean, I, I, I heard some random statistics. I don't know the validity behind it, but I remember them saying something was like 80 cents and now it's like $12 you know, ARPU now at this point. So I think esports is kind of similar to that. It's just right now there may not be a large ARPU, but I think once this starts to evolve and we start figuring it out, you know, there's going to be a huge multiple uh, of getting revenue in. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that's a crazy growth number on Facebook and I'm not going to dive too much into uh, the social media strategy for receiving those ma massive increases in ARPU, but uh, it's a, uh, it's a good analogy just in the way that they knew they had something. They knew they were growing very quickly and eventually they managed to figure out how to monetize it. And that's sort of where esports is sitting at right now. Speaking of that, as we look towards the horizon, you're a tech expert with working in a variety of different fields. What opportunities do you see for esports in the world of technological advancement? Uh, we think about mobile gaming, VR, some of the popular ones. What tech is on the horizon for esports that you think is going to have a big impact on the industry? Um, you know, I think that's a good question, right? I, I think I think the game itself really makes a huge difference as to the success of esport, right? Because League of Legends obviously was, you know, what really kind of provided a lot of acceleration in this whole area, right? And and the reason being is because of how, you know, the game is being played and how different it was from, you know, your your typical, you know, multi-online battle arena type of games, right? Um, so I think from a technical standpoint, I think that's going to have to continue. Like in order for esports to continue its, its sort of popularity, uh, you've got to continue to focus on, it's either A, a new game, or it's B, like what Riot does really well with League of Legends is they're always finding out different ways to adjust the game. So it's not like you're playing the same game year over year, right? You're taking the same platform, but you're kind of changing up the rules or the characters or their power-ups or whatever it may be. Um, so I think from that technical standpoint, I think that will probably continue to evolve. But like from a technology standpoint, like the AR, the VR, I mean, I think... I, it, I think we all want to see that happen, right? You look at all the sci-fi action films, you know, et cetera. You look at, you look at the, the movie industry, right? And you like, you look at, oh, wow, how cool it'd be. Well, instead of me playing it on a computer, I'm actually one of those avatars or whatnot. 
I, I think gaming could potentially get there. It's just really, it's a matter of when, but I think, you know, with augmented reality and virtual reality be, becoming, um, you know, having more attention there, I, I think we're at an era where that's starting to start, starting to become looked upon uh, with, you know, a close examination as far as, okay, is this going to be the moment? But I feel like with virtual reality, it's always entered into stages within the decades, like in the 80s, 90s, and in, in 2000s, but then it kind of slowly fades away and then something else comes in and it slowly fades away. But I think, you know, virtual reality is certainly something that, that a lot of folks are going to be excited about, uh, the gameplay as well. Uh, but I think it's just, in essence, it's just the spread and as, as our infrastructure and as we all start to get on either a 5G or, or a gigabit fiber connection, I think that's even going to change the esports in, in itself because everybody's going to be able to get on it. And in the world of esports where every millisecond counts, right, you no longer have to have it in an arena where you ha you're having it on particular servers because you don't want the internet to affect the gameplay, right? Once the internet starts to catch up or the, or the infrastructure starts to catch up, I think there's going to even be that much more technological advancement and more people involved in getting into the space. Absolutely agree. Accessibility is just the the key word. It's what League of Legends did so well is, hey, it's a free to play game and there's no, uh, you could pay money for skids, but they don't have any impact on your character's performance. So here, this game is accessible. We're going to grow our massive player base. And now you're seeing that same accessibility, uh, like you said, with internet speeds, with people having better access. Right now, it's really hard to be a competitive esports player in the Midwest. It's just very difficult to do that because a lot of games don't have servers there. Uh, Fortnite pros are moving to uh, either Los Angeles or to the East Coast to play their games because they just had uh, much better ping and they weren't able to compete. And so, you know, having standard internet speeds, uh, and that's just for the US, if you look at growing markets around the world, mobile gaming has made esports accessible uh, in so many countries. You look at countries like India, who's now having a little bit of a... a a rift with PUBG Mobile, but that was the most popular game in that country for a very long period of time with a massive player base. You look at uh, right. Brazil's Free Fire, and they're driving insane numbers on their content. Uh, China being the original adopter and one of the leaders in mobile gaming, and it's uh, just seeing that accessibility is so crucial for esports and gaming's continued growth to have everybody be able to play these games because uh, that's what sports had for so long is people, hey, okay, you can create a ball you could kick a ball through a goal that's soccer you have to have it be accessible from a from a very early age and that's what esports is finally reaching it feels like yeah yeah and you mentioned in those countries and i think you're absolutely right and then you look at like countries like south korea and china the reason why esports has been so successful there is because of the density of the population and to your point the infrastructure right you know they're very well known for having the broadband speeds the, the infrastructure but even beforehand when not everybody was able to afford you know these you know gaming machines um or or consoles you know people were just going to internet cafes right and there was a lot of that going on so they had the infrastructure to support that and to your point like once that starts to proliferate across, I think that's where the opportunities are for really to be technological advancements in esports. It's once everybody starts having access, accessibility to all of this, I think the game is really going to start to change. I think so as well. And there's tons and tons of growth and innovation happening. I mean, just uh, the rise of mobile phone technology and the way that five years ago, the top game on mobile phones was like Candy Crush and Angry Birds. And now people are playing... Uh, battle royales with a hundred people dropping into the same map and very complex controls and they're able to actually play those types of games on mobile is 
really, really crazy to think about where that's going to be another five years from now and how uh, big mobile gaming and mobile esports are going to be when everyone can play them, when everyone's playing them all over the place. Yeah, yeah, absolutely agree. Want to move, change gears just a little bit and talk about numbers. So there are, I have this thing in, in esports and I call it the parent test. And it's whatever moment in the esports industry somehow permeates uh, my parents following of, say, the Wall Street <laughs> Journal or uh, the local news channel. Something about esports gets to them. And that's the parent test. You know, some examples are. Uh, the ninja stream with Drake that managed to reach them. Uh, the Fortnite World Cup prize pool with 30 million that reached them. What are some of the numbers that you've seen that reach the mainstream audience? And now I know you have a much higher uh, level of interest in esports beyond just my parents' general knowledge and <laughs> being confused why their kids are playing so much League of Legends. Uh, but what are some of the numbers that you feel like the mainstream has attached onto esports that have cut through and come out of the esports industry that people are like, wow, that's really important. That matters. Yeah. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, all credit to Newzoo because I feel like Newzoo uh, is the one that really a lot of folks are, you know, starting to use as far as a measurement of that data and that and those numbers so when i think about numbers right and when i think about like the opportunities there i think a lot of us within the industry do point to the new zoo data uh, that's out there so you think about video gaming as a whole right it's 160 billion dollar global revenue right of which half of that or almost half of that is mobile right and then it's roughly a, a quarter a quarter right quarter pc quarter console i'm sorry yeah quarter console rather um, so i think those numbers certainly uh, resonate with a lot. And I think, you know, we're starting to use that 160 billion word and, and also the 10% compounded annual growth and, and what's to even come ahead on video gaming. But then you look at, then you look at um, esports, right? So Newzoo also, you know, provided some data around what they feel the global revenue is on that. And that's roughly about 1.1 billion. But the crazy thing about the data that they picked up on is that you look at the compounded annual growth and what the future entails. I mean, it's literally 15 to 20%, right? And it's not too often where you see numbers like that. Um, but I think to your point, it's like, okay, well, there's there's those numbers, but okay, well, how, you know, how concrete are those numbers, right? But then you can also look at Twitch, for example, right? I mean, Twitch on average had 3 billion streaming hours per quarter. And once COVID hit, when their Q2 numbers released, it was it nearly doubled, almost 6 billion hours that are being streamed on a quarter to quarter basis, right? And, and Reed Hastings is, is very famously quoted for their competition is not necessarily the Disney's, you know, the Hulu's, you know, with, you know, against Netflix. It's really, you're competing against people's free time. You're competing against YouTube. You're competing against Twitch. You're competing against people just going on and playing games. That's your competition, right? It's the free time. And you think about how many billions of hours divided by the number of people who are actually on their streaming. That's a huge number. That's huge competition. If I was Netflix, that would be something that I'd be worried about, right? Because there's a lot of popularity and momentum gaining in that. And I think that could potentially continue. Oh, un undoubtedly. It's, uh, I, there's so much gaming content on Twitch and YouTube that I, I'm a big Hearthstone player and I used to queue up Netflix while I played Hearthstone. And uh, it's become, it's shifted to watching Twitch streams and watching YouTube videos. And that's just, you know, an anecdotal case study, but I'm sure that's happening. We've seen the numbers, we've seen the growth numbers. And uh, if you're a media streaming company, you have to be aware of just how big these are getting. Uh, and Amazon is just positioned in such a 
such a beautiful place with Twitch. They that was one of the best investments of the last decade by <laughs> by far. Had to be. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Newsu's numbers too, and this is also brings up a really good point. You know, people have critiqued Newsu's numbers in the past, very famously in a Kotaku article uh, titled "Inside the Esports Bubble." But the issue with those critiques is that there isn't something else that's been put up in its place. Newsu does the best market research of esports industry and people being like, well, no, we disagree with those numbers is fine, but nobody else is properly accounting for the size of the esports industry. And like we mentioned at the top of this podcast, it's very complicated to delineate where esports, uh, where gaming stops and esports begins. Like you mentioned, gaming, $160 billion industry. If you take a general view of esports where it's people uh, who play Rocket League, for example, and then the money they spend on in-game purchases, the money they spend on that item pass, why is that not necessarily included in esports? And right. so uh, it's not really a fair shake for what esports is. And, you know, I think it's good to be aware of what numbers have been critiqued, but also recognize that everyone uses Newsu's numbers for a reason, because they are the most reputable source of these numbers, and they're the only ones really putting them out. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, with the news of number, right? I mean, the one thing that they do pretty well, though, is they take that number and they actually sort of divide it in a bar graph as far as, you know, how much of this is broadcasting, streaming, et cetera. So, I mean, they do a good amount of dissecting that number, but to your point, like, how do we know what's really included or excluded? And I think that, that what makes this difficult, too, is that, you know, when you think about streaming, let's just say, for example, with Twitch, how do you decipher and how do you determine, because Twitch is not going to give you all that data as far as, you know, what part of that was, you know, Rocket League, LOL versus how much of that was something else, right? Um, that's not necessarily considered maybe, you know, esports per se, right? Um, or just somebody just watching or just streaming, you know, them playing Super Mario Brothers or whatever it might be, right? Um, so it's really hard to dissect that information out and, and Yuzu has no choice but to make their best guesstimate and their estimates based on, you know, the data they see. And, and the thing with esports is that the data is not always as transparent um, as other industries that have more, you know, metrics, they have more numbers and they have more transparency uh, behind that. But with esports, you just don't really have as much of that. Absolutely. You have very few publicly traded companies in, in esports. So you have a lot uh much fewer market reports that come out showing, hey, where these, especially on the esports organization side, it's like Guild Esports just did an IPO. I think Astralis is public and Enthusiast Gaming is public. And beyond that, you, you don't really know where Cloud9, how much money Cloud9 <laughs> brings in or Team Liquid or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, so from your perspective, working for a firm like RMS, where you need to be concrete in your numbers, how do you work through numbers with the knowledge that, hey, we're trying to get the best numbers possible, uh, but we also know that some of these metrics are a little bit cloudy, sometimes uh, purposefully obscured to try and make the industry seems larger. How do you cut through some of the quote unquote bad numbers to make sure that you have the best accurate data you can? Yeah, I mean, the numbers are the numbers themselves, right? You can question data, you can question numbers uh, to no end, right? But really, it's just, I think everybody knows that there's an opportunity here. We may not be able to come up with an exact science as to what that number is, uh, but there clearly is an opportunity, right? And there are certain numbers that that cannot be argued, such as the, you know the Twitch streaming hours. I think that's a little bit more binary, right? Uh, now, as far as how you're dissecting out that Twitch streaming and who's actually doing the streaming or whatever it might be, you know, obviously there's, you can challenge that. But I think it's it's you you can't argue the fact that there are more individuals now 
that are um, streaming, you can't argue the fact that there is now more download that has to do with video gaming content because Verizon publishes that data, right? So you see signals of what's happening, right? But it's hard to determine, well, what's the number as far as from a dollar standpoint that that's all equating to, right? But I think that's where there tends to be a gray area. But there, you cannot possibly argue with the data that's out there, the transparency that's out there as far as the download feeds, the upload feeds, um, the streaming hours, et cetera, that goes to show that video gaming and esports has certainly taken off, especially during COVID. Absolutely. And that brings up our first mention of this pandemic, I think, on the podcast, which might be a new record since the pandemic <laughs> took hold uh, in March. 28 minutes in is, is pretty good. But it's something that we always have to discuss because it has been the source of a lot of trends and a lot of mainstream interest on the video game market. And there's been no doubt that video gaming has skyrocketed during this. People playing games, people watching games, people creating content. Uh, but on the esports side, and again, this gets down to where you delineate esports from gaming. If you take only the top level view of esports, where, hey, we're only looking at these high level competitions, your ESLs, uh, your Activision Blizzard franchise leagues, it's been pretty rocky road for esports, especially those Activision Blizzard franchise leagues. They were supposed to go to this home and away format uh, with a lot of ticket sales, the most live events of any season ever, as far as I'm aware, besides I think the LPL in China, who's been doing this for a little while, but on a much grander scale, and they had to cancel all of those. And then we saw that they delayed franchise payments because it's been so weird, a little uh, force majeure clauses probably being invoked with some people, uh, some of those deals. Uh, and I'm curious from your perspective, where have you, what lasting impacts have you seen from the pandemic on both the top level esports industry, these really high level leagues that people guarantee and absolutely uh, associate with esports, and with the general gaming? And so, what are the lasting impacts of this pandemic on video game and esports in general? Yeah, I, I think the lasting impact is that I think you're just getting more and more people who are starting to notice and get into esports that would have never gotten into it before the pandemic, right? I think, you know, once you're kind of understanding more and once you're playing the game, well, let's just say whether it be League of Legends, Overwatch, you know, COD, whatever it may be, you know, once you're captured and once you've got that interest, I think that fire just starts to burn more and more and more inside you, right? Because so long as you've got an interest in, in any sort of level of competition, whether it be, you know, physical or whether it be through, through gaming, you know, that's always going, I feel like that's always going to be there, right? You're always going to have that curiosity. You're going to always have that. What if, how do I get to that next level? How do I beat this person? Right. And I think that's just kind of innate in us. So I feel like that um, in itself is going to be a lasting impact. That's why like a lot of us, you know, there's a lot of um, naysayers about esports. It's like, okay, this is only just during the pandemic. I don't think so. Right. Because you've gotten so many other people that are involved into esports now that were never involved or never had any interest in it that, it, that appetite is just going to continue growing, growing, and growing. And then when you look at, and when you start understanding the technicalities of esports, I think a lot of people think like, well, it's just people playing, you know, video games on a controller. How difficult can that be? There is so much technicality there. It's, it's probably even more difficult to be a professional esports player than it is to be a, a like, you know, professional sports player in itself. Right. Like granted there's the physical or the athleticism there, but I think with, when it comes to esports, just the amount of, of just the mental sort of um, sort of stamina, right? Um, and being able to process so much information in such a short amount of time, like 
these guys who are professional esports players, like if you understand the art and the science of being a professional esports player, and once you start getting it, then and you start playing it, then you're like, oh my god, how do I get to that person? It's kind of like, like kind of like a person who looks up to like a LeBron James or a Jordan, right? You know, they look at basketball and they see that like, oh wow, I want to do that, I can do that, and so they end up starting to pick up a basketball and they try to do it. But then when they try to do it, they realize how difficult that is, right? But then it, it strives for you to want to get to that level, right? And so I think that attraction and that addiction, sort of say, is is going to be there, right? And I, I and that's why I think this is lasting this is not a fad this is not a phase uh, true covid did put a little bit of a, a jolt into getting more people into it but this is not going in my opinion when you know when i look at this i don't think this is going to decline in the long run i i, I don't see how it possibly could to be completely honest it might have a correction it might have see less money enter uh compared to where it was a few years ago but 10, 15 years in the future, everyone's still playing video games. I have no intention of ever giving them up personally. <laughs> right. Like I will continue playing video games for my entire life. And I don't think, I think that's true for almost anybody who's uh, the age of 20 or under. They're playing video games now and it's not becoming societally mandated that, hey, you can only, you have to stop playing video games at a certain age. Like uh, even people of uh, 10 years ago, they, you know, I, I know people who are 30 who don't play any video games anymore. It's just, it was just something that was seen as almost childish. They had to give it up. And it's uh, that that stigma on gaming has gone away a considerable amount. And I think the pandemic has had a very big impact on that stigma. You see rappers, the Fortnite uh, Drake and Ninja stream was a huge moment of this is a cultural trendsetter of the younger generation. He's playing a video game. It's cool. Uh, you see athletes all over the place playing video games, talking about video games, being like, yeah, I love this game. I love that game. I'm streaming on Twitch it's becoming cool. And that means that I don't see people dropping it in the way that it happened in the past. You know, my dad was an amazing Miss Pac-Man player and Galaga player, and he never played a video game after like the year 2000. And I, I just think that if it was, uh, if he was at this age, he would just be a gamer his entire life, probably. <laughs> right. Right. So I want to wrap up this show soon uh, i know you got another meeting to go to in a little while but i want to give you one final chance to plug rsm plug your own personal things what do you want people on the lookout for as esports grows and you know we have a lot of people in the esports industry why would you love them to work with rsm and work with you uh, as they're trying to build out their esports strategy yeah, I mean, RSM uh, as a whole, there are not a lot of uh, accounting professional firms that are putting this much time, dedication, and focus into the video gaming and esports world. So what I'd love more people to know is the fact that this is not a, a sector that we want to neglect. There is so much importance to this particular sector, and there's so much growth to this sector. Um, and RSM, we have sort of that first mover's advantage where we are very external when it comes to our qualifications when it comes to video gaming and esports, we're very knowledgeable. You know, we've got a, a very impressive client portfolio that trust us, right, uh, within this space. Um, and you know, it's because they know that we deeply understand and know this particular sector and industry. I don't think there's a lot of professional accounting firms that could say that, right? And so we've partnered with a lot of those that are very influential in this space. Um, partnered with those who, you know, provide even us a lot of the data points. Uh, so it's certainly something that we pride ourselves in having a very unique uh, and deep focus into that a lot of other accounting firms don't have that. 
Absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, it's a bit rare to hear somebody from one of these major firms that has uh, a partner focusing a lot of their time on esports. You know, sometimes you hear it's like, yeah, you know, I'm an esports analyst, but uh, it's rarely somebody in a leadership position within one of these firms who's uh, spending a lot of time on the esports industry. And clearly, as you guys could hear from this podcast, knows quite a bit about esports and where esports is going. So, Victor, thank you so much for joining the show. It was a pleasure having you on. I really enjoyed the discussion. I think our listeners did as well. For our listeners, uh, we've got some other great shows coming up to you. This will be the last one of this week, but next Monday, come back and we will have another uh, great podcast coming up for you this coming Monday. As always, I was your host, Mitch Reeves, and this was the Esports Network Podcast in partnership with Reuters.